Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this 22nd of February. Year's already blazing away. We are in the season of Lent. Uh, I hope that you are in the Word of God each and every day, that you are presenting yourself to Him as one in need of His grace. All right, we uh, we talk a lot about what's not working. And somebody um, sent me a email over the weekend and said, could you talk about what's working sometime instead of just what's not working? So hmm, here you go. John Beagle, whom I don't know, baptized his dad yesterday morning during worship at an EV free church in Yardley, Pennsylvania. There you go. It's still working. The gospel is still going forth and it is working. People are being redeemed. People are being regenerated. People are being baptized. The gospel is being preached. People are responding. Just a week ago, again, a guy I don't know, Coach Kyle Gorley baptized his youngest daughter on Valentine's Day. He tweeted this, the greatest Valentine's gift ever, being able to be a part of my youngest daughter's baptism this morning and knowing she has now made the most important decision of her life. What's working? The gospel is working. Acts chapter 2, uh, the, same, the same power that went forth by the Holy Spirit on what we call the day of Pentecost, that is still working, right? The Holy Spirit does his work in the life of a believer. The believer stands up and gives testimony. That's what Peter did. Turn to Acts chapter 2 today and read the sermon that Peter preached. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him and in your midst. You yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand uh, may not be shaken, therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne because he foreknew and he spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, Christ Jesus. Not abandoned to Hades, nor does flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of this we are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this. 
that you yourselves are seeing and hearing today. So this is what's going on. Peter preached. What happened? What happened? Well, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from the crooked generation. So what happened? Well, what happened? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What's still working? What's working? The gospel is working. The gospel of God's redeeming love poured out in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit unto salvation. The gospel was preached and people prayed to God for mercy and they found it. What's still working? The gospel's still working. We're going to talk with Lamar Hardwick next about disability and the church, a vision for diversity and inclusion. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Pastor Lamar Hardwick joins me now. We're talking about disability and the church, a vision for diversity and inclusion. Lamar, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. And thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's start with um, why this book. What's your what's your heart um, in terms of this conversation? Yeah, great question. So um, I myself um, in. 2014 received a late and life diagnosis of being on the autism spectrum. Um, and so uh, since that time, God has just really been working in me, um, just reflecting on my life, my experiences with the church, a lot of the barriers that I had, even being in ministry. Um, and I felt a calling to sort of step into the role of trying to help the church to better understand um how to do ministry, not just for, but with persons with disabilities, whether it's intellectual, developmental, or physical. And so this book is a, is a culmination of uh, a few years worth of work where uh, I'm really trying to help the church understand that the disability community is probably the most unreached uh, people group, and we need to do a better job of trying to reach them and serve with them. Yeah, I think there's absolutely no question this is one of the hardest spaces um, for for churches to really enter in in a in a healthy way. Um, mm-hmm. I know this experience in my own family. Um, I know it in terms of uh, you know if I look back, um, the the failures in ministry for me are, were are often. I mean, it, you know, if I if I just genuinely look back over the course of time and say, you know, when I was engaged in congregational ministry. Um, did we intentionally not only reach out to, but prepare for the full inclusion of mm-hmm. families in our congregation who we knew, who we knew had an individual um, who was suffering either a physical, emotional, or intellectual disability? And the answer is no, we didn't. We mm-hmm. failed. Sure. Um, and I think that, um, you know, while confession is good for the soul, 
I still, it, it breaks my heart to just recognize how underserved those families were. So let's talk about the need, and then let's talk about some of the practical things um, that churches can do right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, there's an obvious need. If you look at um, the, the disability community, it's probably one in five, about 20 percent, um, which we can see that is not accurately, ref- their presence is not accurately reflected in our churches. So there's there's definitely a need there. Um, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because even though I've had tremendous struggles of my own, I still feel like the church, uh, the local church is the most underutilized resource for those families. And it's not because they don't want to be a part of the churches. The churches often struggle to figure out um, how not to just reach them, but include them on every level of the church. So I, so I think some practical things that churches can start with, and you just named it, um, is to get an understanding and a sense of those who are already uh, in your congregations or on the periphery of your congregations. When I disclosed my diagnosis to my church in uh, 2015, it it created a culture that gave people the freedom to talk about things that they were embarrassed to talk about because there's so much shame and stigma that still is attached to disability. And so what I learned is that there were several people in the congregation who themselves had an invisible disability or their child. And so we discovered, oh, that's why you don't come every Sunday or you're only here every eight weeks because you're struggling with something that you were too embarrassed to talk about. And so from that point, when people started to get the freedom, we started to learn who's already in our congregation and then invite them to be a part of the conversation of how do we reorganize and shape our congregation in a way that becomes more inclusive of those who are not in our uh, in our seats. Um, and so I would start there, um, start chipping away at the shame and the stigma that's associated with it and find the people who are already connected to your church and then invite them to be a part of the conversation on how your church can do better. Create awareness, promote acceptance, empower advocates. I know that is, mm-hmm. um, uh, I have read that uh, on your website, which if folks want to uh, to check out what Pastor Lamar is talking about, the it's just autism pastor, autismpastor.com. Um, talk about um, talk about you because we have to take a very brief break. I'm I'm on a sorry. Let me let me back up there. Dr. Lamar uh, Hardwick and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask him to talk about his own experience to talk about himself, um, because I know there are a lot of people listening right now um, who will be touched to hear and learn about um, his story, because it does influence the story of all of us. Um, So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. If you, uh, like me, have a member of your family who is on the autism spectrum, this conversation is a real gift. Dr. Lamar Hardwick joins me today. The book is Disability and the Church, A Vision for Diversity and Inclusion. His website is autismpastor.com. Lamar, I want to read a paragraph from a recent post on your website because I think that it... um, 
it helps people understand what autism is in a in a pretty simple way, at least as you mm-hmm. experience it, recognizing that um, that a lot of people experience this differently. Um, you say, I have a sensory processing, I have sensory processing challenges. This means that I see, hear, taste, and sometimes touch the world in ways that others don't. My brain doesn't regulate and filter out unnecessary sights, sounds, and smells. If I could quantify it, uh, I would say my senses are a thousand times more receptive than most. Um, so that is your, your experience. You mm-hmm. are like, a, um, you're drawing it all in. Other people on the autism spectrum, you know, may have a, a, a very, very different experience. That's important in this conversation as well. Mm-hmm. Like just how unique it is. Yeah, and there's a, a, a saying in the autism community that if you've met one person with autism, you met one person with autism mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're we're all different. Um, but, yeah, sensory processing uh, is a tremendous challenge for me, although I've um, after I was diagnosed, I spent two years with a therapist working on some tips and tools and some some life hacks. Um, but but it, it can be extremely overwhelming sometimes to the extent where um, I think the best way to describe it is when I get sensory overloaded is sort of the the feeling of being concussed. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there are times where, um, like if I do a conference or something that is a lot of high activity, that I can spend the next two days in bed uh, just because my brain tends to shut down after that. But I, but I know those things about myself. And so I'm better able to create margin in between things that I have to do to, to help, uh, with self-care. When you, um, when you think about, um, sort of raising the awareness in the church on the Mm -hmm. topic of disability, um, you know, whose, whose awareness needs to be raised how is awareness raised? And then what are some very first steps that we could take almost immediately, no matter where our church is located or what our role in the church is? Yeah, so I would say, you know, the general answer is all of us need to become aware. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a pastor, and I've done conferences where I have great people who come up to me um, and talk about this issue and really want to help their church do better. But I very rarely come across pastors who attend uh, disability ministry conferences. So I would say, because I'm a pastor, I know this, and I say this in the book, almost nothing happens in our churches that's not important to the pastor and the leaders. And so uh, the book is also aimed at uh, pastors to help them to understand better. Um, because one of the things that I know coming out of either my master's or my doctorate this was not a topic that we spent time talking about and learning about and were taught on how to do this type of ministry. So there's a vast majority of of pastors who, uh, quite honestly, are just ignorant. Uh, And I don't say that in a negative sense, they just don't know. And so I think raising awareness with them will help um, really change things. And also the, the future generation of pastors and leaders who are coming through Bible colleges and seminaries, we need to begin to add that to the core curriculum so that they're equipped, just like they're equipped with Bible, New Testament, pastoral care. We need to equip them with this information so that they can go out and, and serve their church as well. And and so I think a, a, a good step would be um, tap into the resources that are already in the community. A lot of times you can get great information and great support um, from your local school system. 
Um, they have a list of all the children who are in the school system who have IEP, Individualized Education Plan. And so they oftentimes know, and of course I'm talking just about children, not, um, but they, they have the skills and tools and knowledge on how to work with these children, how to create an environment um, and, can, and can be a great resource, but also they'll let you know who's already in your community who um, qualifies with some sort of diagnosis of disability and how you can reach them. So, so tap into those resources that are already in your community that are doing the work that the church needs to come alongside them and do. Um, will you talk um, for just a moment with parents who um, are just really struggling today? Um, you were a kid who grew up without an autism uh, diagnosis, but you knew mm-hmm. that you were different. You just didn't mm-hmm. know how you were different, and you didn't necessarily get the help that might be offered today. Um just talk to parents about what their kids are experiencing, um, recognizing, you know, as, the, as we've already observed, that every individual with autism is an individual and unique. Um, but just talk to parents right now. Yes. So the first thing I would do is in, is to try to encourage them um, that your child is uniquely crafted and and is is capable and is is an image bearer. Um, And I think that's important to say because the culture will always try to define us by our deficits. Um, And so there's some real challenges there. So I don't want to make it seem like those challenges are not real. Um, But but to just have faith in the fact that um, that your child bears the image of God and and the work of the spirit is the work of the spirit that um, they can very much reflect and become everything, whatever is possible um, to reach their highest potential. The, the other thing I would say is um, pay attention to environment. I talk about that a lot in the book, um, and I use a parable of the sower. And you notice, and I'm assuming most people who are listening know the parable of the sower, but you notice that Jesus never blames the seed for not producing. He points to the fact that the environment is not right for the seed to become what it's destined to be. And so whatever that is that God has destined your child to become, the important thing is to try to create an environment that stimulates and accentuates all of the positive things that God has placed on the inside of them. And so, you know, that can be from school setting to home setting, learning about sensory issues, learning about um, different environments, because sometimes some of the challenging behaviors and some of the challenging things that parents have to deal with uh, it's much less about the child, and it's more about the environment that the child is in that is causing those things. Uh, and so I would even say that you know, for parents to bring that up to their churches, to say, let's look at this environment and how we can change it a little bit so that my child can also be a person who can come and receive the gospel and be a part of this community. Um, but But it's all about not just trying to uh, empower our kids to become better for the world, but also helping to change the world to be more accepting and accommodating of our children. Uh, Dr. Stephen Grisevich um, from Key Ministry has been tweeting out all morning about you and um, and this book, uh, saying 
that it is a must-read for pastors and church leaders. Disability is central to our understanding of diversity and inclusion in the church. Um, he's, I'm a big fan of what uh, what they're doing at Key Ministry, so, so mm-hmm. glad to know you guys are connected with each other. Um, hey, let me just tell everybody, I've got copies to give away. Disability and the Church, A Vision for Diversity and Inclusion by Dr. Lamar Hardwick. You can find him at autismpastor.com. If you are interested in entering the drawing for the copies of the book we have available today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is Disability and the Church. Pastor Hardwick, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, What a blessing. I hope we can talk again. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. I do love it when the light bulb comes on. So thanks for letting me know when that happens, those little aha moments that you have during the program. Uh, Delight my heart. So thanks for communicating that. Um, Remember, the text line is always open, 877-933-2484. Kathy, the answer to your question is key ministry, keyministry.org. And uh, thank you for those of you who are texting in to enter the drawing for the copies of Disability and the Church that we have available by Dr. Lamar Hardwick. Again, uh, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Up next, I've got Mindy Bells from world magazine we are going to do uh mindy what we, what's called mindy's globe trot where we look around the world at what's going on from a christian worldview that's up next you're on mornings with carmen this is max Lucado. suppose a person never learns about the sealing and intercession of the spirit this individual thinks that salvation security resides in self not in god that Prayer power depends on the person, not the spirit. What kind of life will this person lead? A parched and prayerless one. But what about the person who believes in the work of the spirit? Suppose you let the spirit saturate you with this assurance. After all, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything. God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Your shoulders will lift as you release the buckling weight of salvation. Your knees will bend as you discover the buoyant power of praying in the Spirit, new beginnings, higher walk, deeper prayers, and most of all, a quiet confidence that comes from knowing it's not up to you. This is Max Lucado. Much to the delight of listeners who immediately recognized her name, Mindy Bells joins me now from World Magazine. If you don't already get her globe trot, you can just Google Mindy's globe trot. This is what comes up. So, uh, Mindy, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good to hear you. Good morning. Oh, it's great to talk with you today. So, if we were to click on your globetrot today, uh, we would see that we're not the only ones in a deep freeze. Talk with us a little bit about what's going on around the world in terms of winter weather. Yeah, I mean, besides what's happened in the Northeast and all the way down to Texas here, um, Europe has just been wrapped in um, in snow and cold and um, all the way across to Poland and just record amounts of snow. And you know, for all of us, this has an added dimension this year. It's not just that we're experiencing weather. 
when these things happen, vaccines stop and, um, and treatment of people who are sick with COVID stops. And so we're, we're battling this pandemic in the midst of uh, some really unusual weather. So you keep an eye on what's happening um, all around the world, which is a great challenge. I mean, in terms of the scope of what you uh, pay attention to and cover, can you bring us up to date on what is happening in Ethiopia in the Tigray region? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a complicated conflict that broke out. Um, I've just been writing about it because there are a number of things like this that we just aren't paying a lot of attention to because of the the dominating news in our own country and in our own lives. Um, the Tigray region is a really important region, though. It's right at the border of Eritrea, um, and it um, is really one of the homes of one of the oldest churches in the world, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, and also home to a lot of evangelical churches. And um, fighting broke out there in November. It lasted for uh, a couple of months. Um, the Ethiopian government did something they've never done, which is they encouraged or asked, we're not clear, Eritrean troops to come in. Um, so that set up a clash between mostly Muslim Eritrean troops and the Christian population in Tigray that was already in, in somewhat of a conflict. And what we learned just in the last week or so is that there was a massacre the end of November at the you know most historic church in the region and that 800 people were killed. We were hearing rumors about this for weeks and weeks, but, but the internet was shut down. Um, all communication was cut off, no phone service. And it was only when some reporters were able to reach deacons in the church by phone after phone service was restored that we found out the horror of this. They described bodies in the street. They were unable, because of the presence of the Eritrean troops, they were unable to retrieve the bodies. And um, we still don't know what was, you know, what really started this? It's shades of like what we saw happen in Rwanda, if you remember back in the 90s, just a massive bloodletting, but um, but killed, killed 800 people. Hmm. Um, Lebanon is a mess. I mean, that this is my short, um, my very short commentary or uh, tell us what you're seeing, what you're hearing. Um, where if it, where there are signs of hope, um, we've we've talked a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. well, we've talked a fair amount actually with others about the situation in Lebanon. But what's your perspective on what's going on there? Well, I was I was there uh, last year, right after this horrific port explosion, and you know, again, it's like something that should be a major headline that has has hardly been a blip in the United States, and one of the largest explosions of any kind of nuclear explosions in, in in our history and um it it brought together all the things that were um creating a crisis in lebanon and that is that you have a really corrupt um uh government and and so the latest thing we've seen is that they are removing the people who are investigating this explosion uh it brought together they they last year last week they removed one of the prosecutors you know because he was kind of getting at the root of what was happening if you remember the explosion was caused by um 
um, basically smuggled um, explosives that were brought into the harbor and stored in a warehouse. And there's a connection with with Hezbollah there. And so we're seeing the, the terrorism that has been allowed to take root in Lebanon. Lebanon has been you know, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the Middle East. It's It's been one of the most prosperous, and it has, over the last 10 years, just deteriorated and deteriorated in the face of this corrupt government, the rise of Hezbollah, and the influx of refugees that have come from Syria and elsewhere. And the explosion has just exasperated all of those things. What I will say, because you asked about what's good there— is that one of the things I've seen, and it continues to happen there, is just the strength of the churches in Beirut in particular. They have been serving Syrian refugees. They've been taking care of them of their own. And when this port explosion happened, they did what was natural to them. They began to go out and take care of people, repair homes that the government was not touching, um, find housing for people whose homes have been destroyed in the explosion. And a number of these churches themselves were, uh, were you know, had suffered great damage during the blast. So they have continued to do that. And they have had just a really strong witness throughout the city as a result of doing that, because they are doing what the government and what others are not doing. So it continues to be an unfolding situation. I'm talking with Mindy Bells from World Magazine, uh, and she and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to pivot, and we're going to talk about what's going on in China and focus in particularly on the situation with the Uyghurs. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. (coughs) I am Continuing my conversation with Mindy Bells from World Magazine, uh, you should Google Mindy's Globetrot if you just want to have a quick roundup from Mindy about what's going on all around the world. Um, Mindy, let's pivot and and focus in on China. Um, mm-hmm. Survey the landscape there in any way that you want, but let's be sure that we spend some time on uh, the plight of the Uyghurs. Right. Well, you know, I think um, since we're in the early days of a new um, presidential term, a new administration, you know, China is going to be one of the top challenges for the Biden administration. And that has to do with trade. Um, It has to do with China's, I would just say China's aggressive stance in the world. China has challenged U.S. forces in the South China Sea. Um, They have, you know, they've made incredible inroads into a number of parts of the world, into uh, the Middle East, into Africa, you know, going in with uh, a handout to build roads, to do infrastructure. And then there is um, there is a quid pro quo, quo there that they will support and overlook China's abusive policies. And, you know, I would say this, this kind of thing comes out when we see, like we see a military coup in Myanmar, Basically, the military calculation there is that they have support from China, so it's okay that the United States and other parts of the world um, um, oppose them. And and that's what we're seeing is that our own balances of power, if you will, are upset by China just horning in and basically buying off rogue regimes and, and even regimes that are otherwise not rogue but are dependent on outside help. 
And one of, I think, the glaring things is this treatment of the Uyghurs. Um, the situation that you have, the Uyghurs are a mostly Muslim, but not entirely Muslim, um, ethnic minority group that are centered in Zhenjiang province in, in central to west, west central China. They have long been persecuted by the government in Beijing. But what we've learned in the last few years is that it extends way beyond just discrimination or persecution. A million Uyghurs have been rounded up or are in these um, what we call re-education camps where they are being um, uh, given propaganda 24-7 and where they are in forced labor. And what we've heard about in the last six months to a year is just really some horrific practices that include women being forcibly sterilized, being forced to have abortions. This is genocide. This is wiping a people group out. And um, I, I would say that, you know, the West, including the United States, have, has not grappled with this in the way that we would expect them to. Um, that we're just now seeing, and this began under the uh, Trump administration, some serious clampdowns we saw um, beginning to put some sanctions on imports. And cotton is the chief one because U.S. manufacturers, names that we would, clothing names that we would recognize are buying cotton that is produced by this forced labor, this forced weaker labor in China. And so that's something that really needs to stop. And that's something that we consumers need to be grappling with and need to be um, exercising our, our civic duty about. Um, but the other thing I would, I would just say is that in terms of policy, I think what's really interesting at the end of the Trump administration, um, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, declared genocide, declared that this, that what was happening to the Uyghurs was essentially wiping them out as a race. And that was quite significant. It allows a number of international and national protocols to come into play. Immediately upon taking uh, office, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said he agreed with the decision. And that's huge. That is a huge point of just bipartisan um, agreement on one of the worst human atrocities that's happening in the world right now. And even as of last week, uh, Secretary of State Blinken has been talking about this. It's There have been some bills introduced in Congress that I think the Biden administration will approach, will uh, support and, and move toward. And so that's encouraging. And then what we'll want to watch, of course, is how, if this uh, affects the behavior of China toward this very... Um, very persecuted, very oppressed people group. So, Mindy, when we um, when we think about the responses that you're seeing, both from here in the in the United States and around the world, um, what what gives you any sort of glimmer of hope in terms of the future of the Uyghur people? Well, all of these things, Carmen, they always present an opportunity. Um, I, I guess I'd say for the unexpected and, and really for God to work. There's, there's, you know, no other way to to say that because that's what we are, we're all waiting for at the end of the day, anyhow. And um, 
I think just the attention that has been focused on this group, which has long been dispersed, long been sort of uh, a, a group of people ignored. There, there's a large Uyghur population in the United States that is a result of this sort of low boil persecution that no one was paying attention to. One of them is Nuri Turkle. That is a name to watch. Nuri is a member of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. And when he was appointed, um, which was just recently to the commission, that was an elevation of the Uyghur profile and recognition that these are people um, deserving a full seat at the table in, in the highest levels of, of power. And, um, you know, we've I've heard Nuri's name floated as someone who might end up with a position within the Biden administration that hasn't happened yet. And I don't know if it will. Um, but but, you know, that's kind of the flip side is that we begin to recognize that here's this group of people who actually have contribution to make. There actually are some churches, some some Christian inroads that have been made with this group as they've been scattered around the world. And those are the kinds of things we can watch for. I often think, Carmen, about, you know, if you go back to your Old Testament and we we remember what bad guys the Assyrians were and and how they just plagued on um, the people of Israel. And then the Assyrians became the historic roots of the Christian church in the Middle East. And um, and they, they too, have fanned out all over the world and have brought really the aroma of Christ, if you will, um, to many, many parts of the world. And, and I think this is, this is how God likes to work in these unexpected ways. And those are the kinds of things I think we can always be looking for. Nuri Turkle is somebody for whom we can be praying. And if you are um, looking for him, you could find him at uh, um, at the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. That's USCIRF.gov. Um, or you could just Google his name, Nuri, N-U-R-Y, Turkle, T-U-R-K-E-L, and find all kinds of really um not only good information, but great stuff that uh, that Nuri is uh, sharing with others. Um, Mindy, when you survey the globe, what has your attention today? Well, it actually has, you know, what we talked about at the top, I, I've just been, been writing and talking to some people about the situation in Ethiopia. Mm. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that we continue to be confronted with is that when these conflicts happen, they force they forcibly dislocate people. 27,000 mm-hmm. people in the Tigray region have been forced into Sudan. And what that does is it sets up the possibility of wider conflict because Sudan doesn't want 27,000 new people. They don't have, you know, means to keep them. So that's the kind of thing we continue to be very watchful of the the refugee situation globally. We're seeing tremendous stress in refugee camps. Uh, Several of them have caught fire in recent weeks in the cold, people in camps that are homeless now again. And um, these camps are are fighting spreads of COVID all the time. And it's just, it's a really bleak situation. And so those are some of the things that we're we're watching, um, just wanting to keep an eye on uh, not only the powers that be, but really the people on the ground and what their lives are like and, and feeling that these sort of least of these are, are people whose stories need to be made known and whose dignity we want to see restored. 
Mindy, thank you um, for your sensitivity to those stories, for bringing them to us. We we really appreciate your joining us today. Um, you're a you're a listener favorite here, so um, so thank you for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, one more really cool thing going on um, right now. In celebration of Black History Month, um, Israel's ambassador to the United States and the United Nations, his name is Gilad Erdan, um, he is actually here in the U.S. right now on a listening and learning tour. He was in Charleston yesterday. Uh, I believe he's going to be in Montgomery today, Selma tomorrow, seeking to better understand the African-American experience from uh, the Israeli and Jewish perspective. That's kind of cool, right? So, um, you know, it occurs to me we don't have to go half a world away to seek to learn about the perspective of others. We could probably, many of us, go, you know, down the street, around the corner, on the other side of town. Uh, So let's do that today. Let's seek to... um, Let's seek less to be understood and more to understand what's going on with others today. All right. Mercy, 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 mercy is my theme for this Monday. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.